0: Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. What is this, amateur hour? Yeah, I ain't no superman businessman like you. You know, I'm just an... Amateur. Man, I suppose.
1: Amateur hour.
0: is was happening. <laughs>
1: amateur hour.
0: Is... This- Football friendship and fun, that's what we do. We watch the Chiefs and talk about them too. Amateur Hour. Amateur Hour. Podcast. I'll tell you once more before we start to record. Amateur Hour. Ryan Scott Hall and his dirtness. You know that these guys are the best in the biz, amateur hour. Amateur hour, podcast. I'll tell you once more before we start to record, amateur hour. Amateur hour. Amateur hour. Amateur Hour. Roos. Amateur hour. I think it's about time to start the show. Just one more chorus, then away we go. Amateur Hour. Amateur Hour. A podcast. Here comes Ryan and Dirk, your favorite amateurs, Amateur Hour.
1: That's the name of the show, folks. It's Amateur Hour. I am Ryan Scott Hall, and with me today, Sir Dirkness. What's up? How, uh, how are you doing there, Dirk? Doing good. Doing good. The season's evening. not over. It's not over. It almost was.
2: We almost didn't. We almost didn't. It's like when the groundhog doesn't come out. We only got two months of football this year, but nope. Not yet, at least. We hopefully still have two more months of football, left, or hopefully three. Maybe three. Let's go.
1: uh, There's a groundhog that lives in my backyard. I've been trying to figure out what it is, and my dad was over on Saturday. We had a nice little Saturday. Went to Home Depot twice. And I've had this critter kind of roaming around in my backyard. And I'm like, dad, what is this thing? And he says, you know what, son? That's a groundhog.
2: You know what it is? It's it's Punxatony Pat.
1: Punxatony Pat. Uh, okay. I'm smelling what you're stepping in there. Um, Dirk, I I, I need to say that today is the kind of day, the exact kind of day that Twitter was created for. I know that Twitter gained its uh, original notoriety because of, if memory serves, the Iranian elections, (laughs) like the Arab Spring or something, Uh, because people were able to tweet while things are happening live in a country that it's very hard to get any kind of coverage of anything, um, and it like put Twitter on the map. but that, that did the yeah, yeah. Iranian like of, of what like 2008
2: or what are we talking about? That's yeah. Long. so
1: I mean, if you think about it this way, it's it's um, the fact that it was the first time that that service existed and and like a moment was taking place. And since Twitter has been able to capture these different moments by bringing people together and they're all kind of talking about it and experiencing it together online while also, you know, usually it's unfolding on television. Um, and, it's, and, and it's
2: eventually led to the downfall of society. How about
1: it? Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I know that uh, I think Chiefs fans are probably most interested in talking about Chiefs players interacting on twitter with fans or whatever but no nope uh it's it's days like today dirk when aaron rogers is uh testing positive for COVID 19 officially now the second time that mahomes and rogers were supposed to have their big showdown and it's not gonna happen um which is, then... which
2: is weird because he has the same thing going on with brady like, him and Brady almost never played because, like, one of them would be hurt or or something weird would happen. Like, him and Brady, I think, have only played twice, I want to say, or up until uh, he became a Buccaneer, I guess. And then that they've played a couple times since. But when he was a Patriot and he was a Packer, one of them kept getting hurt, one of them kept missing the game or something. Uh, so it's kind of been like that for R- Rodgers just avoids the big dogs of his career.
0: mm
1: can handle it. I, I have been wondering if this was like the ultimate long con by Rogers. Like, oh, you thought I was happy, Green Bay. Well, I'll show you. I'll show you. Give them a tantalizing, you know, seven or eight games. And She'll, then what, disappear for the season? And, and then, well, I guess uh, I guess I handled some things poorly, and the NFL has suspended me and has fined the organization millions of dollars for letting me do whatever I want. Just, just wait radio.
2: till Jordan Love throws for 400 yards and five touchdowns and, and, and takes his job.
1: I, I heard some arguments on, of course, none other than sports talk radio here in Kansas City um, that, like, well, it's going to be harder to defend Jordan Love because we don't have any tape on him.
0: <laughs> uh, Hell yeah.
1: I believe Carrington's response was, I think that's the worst text we've ever received. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So listen, man, uh, I kind of like wrote uh, like a monologue to start off the show and in sort of preparing for the show after the Tennessee loss.
2: Okay, well, first, do you have any more Rogers thoughts? Because I was kind of like, I'm like, if the chiefs were like 6 and 2 if this season was going anywhere like we had expected i'd be pretty bummed cuz this would be like like one of the biggest games on the NFL calendar pretty much yeah uh but now that we're sitting here at 4 and 4 and and fighting for our playoff lives i was like fuck yeah baby give us a free win give us that i'll take all of those
1: oh i am i am in the same posture that i was pre giants which is I really don't care what it looks like. Just come out of here with a win. Um, and, and I'm sure that there are going to be complaints, um, worthy complaints, given the way that this season has gone so far, about maybe every win that the Chiefs eke out. I don't see them blowing the doors off of anybody anytime soon and collecting all of those style points that we got used to seeing and really loved um, I think the Chiefs essentially have to win ugly until their offense gets out of this pit that they've fallen into. And so, whatever Aaron Rodgers, Jordan Love, Blake Bortles. Um, yeah, it doesn't matter. I I, I will I'll take all the backup quarterbacks. Like, I I'll go on that stretch, and everyone says, Man, the Chiefs really lucked out, they didn't play anybody's starting quarterback. I'm like so what? We're stacking oh, wins, and if we get into the tournament, we have Patrick Mahomes. Now,
2: wasn't that was that twenty thirteen when we played every backup quarterback?
1: I think that's twenty thirteen. Right. We were we were like paper tigers, didn't we start ten Great and like Great our season. last five or something?
2: Fantastic! I loved every minute of it.
1: Yeah, I think I think we uh like pretty much ran the table to start the year, and then played Peyton Manning. And uh, it was all downhill from there.
2: Well, can I just say, it it feels good to finally have some, maybe some outside momentum on our side. um, Since we're playing the most daunting uh, schedule in NFL history, all of a sudden, Uh, we have no opponents left with a losing record somehow. And that's after playing uh, the five AFC powers in the first seven weeks or eight weeks or whatever it's been. My God, man, the schedule. I I mean, I I guess I just didn't care because I never thought we could be this bad. But man, our schedule is completely daunting. And if we weren't playing the NFC East, man, we would be in some serious trouble. So it feels good. I mean, especially uh, after this past Sunday with some teams we needed to lose, getting a loss. So it feels like there's some uh, momentum coming in from the outside. Some things going our way, actually. Uh, Not so much from our own team, necessarily, but from the outside. Some outside forces to kick it in.
1: Well, and you know, Brett Veach, boy wonder making a couple moves at the deadline bringing in a guy that was you know in the building a few months prior and dan smith clamoring for them to sign anyway dan um, smith he's here but i
2: tracked his his flight i tracked his flight all the way in i went out with a sign
1: dan smith has arrived and there he was can dan smith have your permission to wear number 89
2: I'll have to watch his run-blocking drills first because that that jersey does not go out lightly. You need to have elite run-blocking skills, essentially be the sixth offensive lineman. Um, and once I see one good block from him, then yes, I will sign off on it.
0: Uh, <laughs> I'll, be, I'll actually
2: be amazed if he takes one snap as a chief.
0: And that's the kind
1: of uh, expertise that we expect from your your fart. Um, fart. Is, is one snap will prove all that you need to know. Um I I will say Dirk that the Chiefs have long clamored or at the very least this Chiefs podcast has long clamored for that kind of dominant presence at tight end, a glorified offensive lineman if you will. Um and it sounds like this is a player that might be able to come in and, and do that a little bit. That's essentially the only thing that he brings to the table as an NFL player is that he's considered a pretty significantly talented run blocker. Um, a, a discussion that we might get into later,
2: a little tease, a little tease about the offense, but get to this this long anticipated monologue of yours. Well, moderate.
1: some of it is going to sound a little wonky because I, you know, I, composed this post titans um rather than post giants okay but um listen no matter how hard this is to process with now nine games yet to play in the regular season i think it's abundantly clear that the chiefs are on the playoff bubble um And largely, even now, including the Giants game, the Chiefs have played well for like two of the last 16 quarters, Um, and 10 of those 16, some of the worst football that we've seen in a long, long time. Um, They look lost out there. All three units will start clicking for a few drives, but never at the same time, and never for very long before they conjure a comical turnover, bizarre penalty, busted coverage. I mean, it is a weird vibe all around right now. Some would say, and they'd be right, that the Chiefs haven't been at full strength, but they have been healthier than maybe every single opponent that they've had this season. And yet they have mostly been unable to take advantage. The Kansas City Chiefs are playing terribly. There's no question about it. We can only speculate or pontificate or bloviate about the causes, but something clearly isn't right. Which begs the question, can they fix it, Dirk? Can you see the Kansas City Chiefs being some version of what we expected in 2021 come january
2: uh i can yes i can i'm not necessarily expecting it uh they don't have my trust or anything i'm not like betting on it but yes i can absolutely see it um and and this week's kind of you know one of the reasons why i mean i saw like you know nothing nothing was pretty here nothing was pretty about this giants week let's i mean let's get that out of it. it was it was awful to watch uh, it's wild because at the time it's, it's not fun. It almost feels like it doesn't matter. Like, like, fuck, just lose. I don't care. Like we look so bad. It doesn't matter, but you know, it, it does matter. It does matter. Um, but you know, the defense looking better. I mean, and, and the defense, we basically had one idea for how the defense was going to get fixed. And that was both Chris Jones and Frank Clark being healthy and playing up to their ability. And what we saw against the giants was both Frank Clark and Chris Jones healthy and playing up to their ability. Hopefully that thing at the end with Frank limping around was nothing, because I'm, I'm terrified he's just going to miss four weeks now, and we got, like, one good game out of Frank. Um, so that was really good to see. A side rant, real quick. Whoever decided to put Chris Jones at defensive end, I've, I've got some big issues with. It, that was a fucking colossal disaster colossal i don't know who signs off on this i've been thinking about it i think it's essentially it, it's a discussion between andy and uh spags i would have to say and i would kind of think, kind of say andy's like oh i'm okay with it obviously the idea came from chris jones it's something he wanted to do for whatever reason i i think because he gets paid you know 22 million instead of 20 million congrats way to fucking go well First off, that's not going to happen because it's fucking awful at DN. So he'd get paid about half when he gets paid at D tackle. Um, so I think, you know, it's his idea. Spag, Andy's like, I'm okay with it if you think you can work with it, Spags. And I think Spags is the one that kind of ultimately signs off on that. But my God, man, after watching him in that game, Chris Jones doing nothing for weeks. I know he had the wrist injury, but even in that game, you see when he lines up at DN, he does absolutely nothing. He's completely washed out. No plays. He moves down to defensive tackle, which he played for about two-thirds of the snaps of that game, I think. And he, and he makes four explosive dominating plays. And it's like, holy shit, look at Chris Jones at defensive tackle making plays. I cannot believe that we, we thought it was a good idea to move him away to the point where now we have a below-average defensive end and a below-average defensive tackle. We've, we've gone from a strength to two weaknesses. I, I just can't believe how bad of a decision that was. And I'm glad that the trade for Melvin Ingram might finally signify um, that we've moved on from that. And we're going to see a lot more Ingram at playing defensive end. And we finally just put this Chris Jones defensive end mess to, to rest and just put it behind us. And hopefully we just see him inside for the rest of time now.
1: So, um, listen, I, I am here to report to our listeners that ever since it was announced that Chris Jones was essentially going to try to play defensive end more than just like to entertain people during training camp. Um, one, his darkness has been very strongly anti in our you know group chats. Um, so in some ways you are being proven, right. Um, I do think it's a little more complicated. I think that that wrist injury is probably a major factor in not being effective. If you heard Chris Jones's presser after the Giants game, he said something that I haven't heard people dissect that much, but he said that he and the team came to an agreement regarding his wrist, which I'm going to assume means don't get surgery, play the season out. We can try to give you a couple of weeks off and, you know, maybe we do something here or there or whatever. Um, but like, if you get surgery, then, you know, your season's over and we can't handle that essentially. Um, I, 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 Chris Jones is clearly much better at defensive tackle than at defensive end. Um, I, I'm not all that frustrated that they tried it. I do think that we could say it was out of necessity, but honestly, the dumb thing about that is like if they would have signed Melvin Ingram to begin with instead of trading for him, then it wouldn't have been feeling necessary. The only reason I think that the Chiefs even entertained what I saw someone describe as something on Chris Jones's Christmas list or something um, being able to play defensive end that was you that, oh, that was, I, I remembered that it stuck with me and I couldn't remember if it was on Twitter or it was just you uh, but yeah, Chris Jones's like Christmas list I want to play defensive end and so they just entertain it um but I had kind of tried as best I could to articulate that the reason the chiefs were playing Chris Jones at defensive end, was because the the best defensive end on the team in Frank Clark hadn't been healthy but then they also lost Joshua Kendo, and they were essentially down to Mike Dana and Alex Okafor as their defensive ends. If you well, but, were- they,
2: but they had this was clearly their idea throughout the offseason. They had a whole offseason to address this. Right. And they clearly went in we're I mean, we're adding Jaron Reed to the middle with the idea that we're going to play Chris Jones outside. So they, it wasn't just like, I don't think it happened out of necessity. I think this was their plan at some point in the offseason. And maybe it's because they thought Jaron Reed was, you know, they're getting tremendous value there, which hasn't really proven true either. Um, so I I I, don't, I can't give them a pass there because it's not just like it happened in the preseason or something, and this is all too late. It seemed like this was the plan throughout the offseason.
1: And, and I would say, I would point to and maybe this is unfair, perhaps I would point to Calais Campbell as the type of player that they were probably hoping. Um, The difference being that Calais Campbell was always a defensive end who could be very effective at defensive tackle because he weighed like 300 pounds. Um, And that's not to say Chris Jones doesn't, you know, um, but there, it, it, it obviously, but, you know, the experiment hasn't worked for a number of reasons. I would say, Um, I, but I, I think it's important to, at the very least, acknowledge the fact, and maybe people want to argue here. I did not like do the research or do the math. This is, um, me guessing. I would say that so far this season, the defense has been closer to what we expected from the defense than the offense has based on their expectations. Um, And I'm not trying to like split hairs or, you know, win this argument on a technicality, but I think the defense is flat out better. They are further along in the season long plan than the offense is because frankly, like we've, we've seen the defense play like one of the worst in NFL history. And we've also seen them do some really good things over the last three weeks as they've started to get healthy. And it's changing how they look and how they're performing. And we look at that offense, and maybe Kelsey is banged up. Maybe Tyreek Hill hasn't been healthy, and those that would be major problems. And obviously, Clyde has been in and out of the lineup. But dude, the offense is pretty healthy, and the offense stinks to high heaven right now. They are downright laughable, comical, completely lacking in confidence I mean they looked okay on that first drive and as soon as that weird tipped up interception happened they were right back to completely shook could not do anything right and looked so unprepared I mean they're they're so rattled dude and it probably starts with Patrick Mahomes, and maybe more importantly it might start with Andy Reid I don't know but like they're, they're i don't think that they're missing anything so significant that they should be por- performing this badly
2: yeah i mean there's there's definitely multiple discussions to be had there uh yeah, um, like, like, let me argue about the defense and then Well, no, no, no and I, mean, I i agree with your sentiment especially now i mean this has essentially been for the first month the defense was completely terrible and now for this the next month the offense has been by their standards, completely terrible. So it's kind of like, it went back and forth. But yeah, I mean, right now, the trajectory right now, yes, the defense is playing up to their standards more than the offense, no question, especially after the last two weeks. I mean, the offense has been a complete mess. Um, I mean, I, I mean, where do we want to start? I mean, let's go with Andy Reid. Let's talk about Andy Reid. We never talk about Andy Reid. Um, there's probably some Andy Reid discussions that need to happen. This doesn't mean that we want Andy Reid fired. I th- I th- people just kind of jump to that conclusion too much. Like, man, Andy-, Andy Reid's done a bad job. He's done a bad job. That doesn't mean you'll fire Andy Reid. The question is, why is Andy Reid doing a bad job? Uh, I mean, a lot of people point to the Britt Reid thing. It's it's hard for me to think that that's not a factor with him. Um, and then you even bring in, like, the old the old tragedy family tragedy that happened to him when he was in Philadelphia. And that kind of led immediately to his downfall there. So it's kind of hard not to draw the comparison there. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's tough. I'm not sure what that would be like other than, you know, he's distracted or uh, I, I'm what else that comes from, but it's, it's, I mean, looking at those two lines, it's hard not to say like, man, in Philadelphia, his son dies, they immediately have the worst season and then he's fired. And then here, Britt Reed thing happens, Super Bowl happens, and now he's having his worst season in Kansas City by far. So it's hard, it's hard for me to not look at those parallels.
1: So um, I am going to talk about Andy Reid, but I'm going to take a detour in order to get there. Um, you know, you mentioned Andy, what, possibly being distracted. Um, I'm not
2: sure if – so if that's the problem, i do not sure what I – don't, I don't know how it gets from that to a bad product on the field. I'm not sure how that crosses other than, you know, his, his mind is occupied with other things. And, and, and believably so. I mean, his, his son is facing jail time. I mean, it's, it's hard for him not to be affected by that, I would think.
1: Uh, and I mean, even on top of that, as it directly relates to that Britt Reed situation, think about the complicated circumstances for Andy Reed. It's not just that, you know, he is a very public figure face of a franchise type of guy and really ambassador for the NFL over the last 20 plus years. I mean, this guy is going to be one of the most influential head coaches in the history of the NFL. Um, Andy Reid is important to the legacy and the history of this league. And he. He. Right now, finds a little girl's family, um, still just like not knowing what the future is for their daughter who's like less than five years old or something. I think that her life, um, on paper is largely been destroyed, that her she will never be the same because of this accident. And Britt Reed has been in and out of the hospital, multiple surgeries through this process. He hurt himself pretty tremendously, I believe. Um, And he's obviously facing criminal charges. And because all that stuff is unresolved, there's still the question about any sort of liability that the Chiefs or Andy or Clark or the NFL or whatever... Um, because of potential workplace culture, the assumption being that Britt Reed was maybe drinking at the facility before he left and got in this accident. There's a lot going on there that is all beneath the surface. But I need to point out, that's not just for Andy Reed. I've been listening over the last month or so to a podcast with Petro and Eric Eager from Pro Football Focus and Jeff Chidia from ESPN. And they have talked about over the last couple of weeks, I want to say this is a point from Jeff Chidia, Um, regardless, they've been saying that, you know, in 2019, you look at that team and they had brought in guys like Tyron Matthew and Frank Clark and Steve Spagnuolo um, and every single person, because they had lost the game in overtime to Brady the year before at home. Um, And it just slipped out of their hands. Every single person in this building had one goal, and there were zero distractions. It was absolutely 100% football focus, right? And you can look at last year, and it's maybe hard to say, but like COVID, I think for a lot of NFL teams helped them to focus. It eliminated distractions because they had to. And now you step into this year, and if you think about the most important players on this team, um, and especially, I would say, if you want to look at just the finances, right? Patrick Mahomes, whether anyone thinks that this is good, bad, or indifferent to talk about, Patrick Mahomes has a new baby at home. And he is 26 years old with the biggest contract in the NFL um and has all these different endorsements and for whatever reason people want to attack his wife and his brother on social media because maybe they're kind of obnoxious but like that all that stuff is on pat he's got a lot of distractions frank clark a lot of, a lot of weight on his shoulders a lot of weight yeah. frank clark has two gun charges in another state weighing over him bad decisions plus he hasn't been healthy Who knows what's going on in the guy's personal life? It's always been hard for him, but he definitely doesn't even know about his immediate future being in or out of jail coming down the road. Tyron Matthew is in the last year of his contract and is arguing with fans on Twitter. Anthony Hitchens knows he does not have a future with this football team. Chris Jones and Tyreek Hill, I believe have one year on their contracts after this year. I mean... A lot of these guys, suddenly, it's not all about football. And in a league like this, where there are a lot of hungry mouths, man, we can say that maybe the Chiefs have relaxed. There's a possibility that some of that has happened. But we can also see that these guys are human, and they have lives off the field, and right now, their lives are drawing more of their attention, reasonably and understandably so, than maybe football is sometimes. And with the margin being that thin, especially when you think about a guy like Andy Reid, the difference between a focused and prepared Andy Reid and a distracted Andy Reid is, I think, pretty obvious. Um, most of the conversations that I feel like I have heard on podcasts and on the radio over the last couple of weeks, especially when they're talking about the offense is when is Andy going to scheme something up? Has Andy been scheming guys open? You know, the only times that we've seen it look like they're even having fun offensively is when they get into the red zone and they've done that like twice when they've kind of run some funny sort of Andy Reid looking old school misdirection thing. But like the offense isn't even having fun right now. You know? Everything out there looks so hard for them. And and so I think it's important that instead of just focusing on Andy and saying that maybe Andy's distracted, I think there are a lot of guys that are distracted. And I don't think that that's the sort of thing that should lead to, like, Chiefs fans lashing out on Twitter and saying, you're not earning your paycheck or blah, 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 blah. All that stuff is so stupid.
2: Well, but that's that's always going to happen. It's it's not, I mean, if a team's going to be bad, that's just going to happen. It's not just the Chiefs fan base. It's every single fan base, as long as there are fans. Yeah. going to happen on social media. It's just, it's just too easy. Um, but what you're kind of describing, I think, is like the disease of more, uh, which is, I believe is a, a philosophy or a theory from Pat Riley. I was kind of just trying to do some uh, quick research because I've heard it talked about. Simmons gets into it a lot. But, you know, it's kind of like... Success is like the first step towards failure uh, was the first line that I just kind of saw here. And it's just kind of everybody on the roster just wants more after you experience success like that, after you win a championship. You want more money, you want more commercials, you want more playing time. Everybody sees their own personal value as as higher than what it used to be after winning a championship. So it's just, it's just really hard to control that um, after the fact. And so you get a lot of, you know, players don't want it as much. I mean, they've already done it. Not going to work hard for it. And, you know, it's kind of this happened in 2019. And then we had 2020, which was, uh, you know, ult- ultra successful. But man, the Chiefs never faced adversity at all. They just kind of waltzed their way through the season. Like we we might have seen something close to this if they ever faced adversity, but they lost one game to the Raiders, knowing the fact that they'd be able to play them again. And and also that they're just you know, dancing their way to the one seed in the AFC, and we're going to be in the playoffs again, and nobody in the AFC is really scary. And so it was just kind of, it was like a season-long party. There was, no, there was no reason to question anything. All of a sudden, this year, you're facing adversity. And, man, it didn't even come right away. I mean, we lost to the Ravens because we fumbled at the end. We lost to the Chargers because they were going for fourth downs and because of a shitty defensive pass interference call. I mean, we, were, we should have beat these top-tier teams, and all of a sudden, that starts snowballing. Because it's not like we were playing that bad then. Beating the Ravens on the road on a last-second field goal, no, no shame in that. I mean, that's, that's a good win. And yet, all of a sudden, oh, shit, we lost that one. Oh, shit, we lost this one. And now the basics just start feeling hard. And you see, you kind of see it with Mahomes. You know, people stick up for Mahomes. There's all kinds of stats, you know. You know, the team's falling apart, but I laugh at the idea that Patrick Mahomes is having a bad season, that he's struggling. Here's stat after stat after stat after stat, and yet here's Patrick Mahomes the last two weeks, and boy, is he feeling it. He looks like one rattled dude out there. So we've kind of talked about Andy Reid. Final thoughts on Andy Reid. He's done a bad job this year. Ultimately, what this team has been this year kind of falls on him. They look to look that unprepared, to look that undisciplined it all falls on Andy Reid. And so, I mean, there's not much else you can say other than I, just, I'm, I'm way, way, way far away from moving on from Andy Reid. So you just kind of sit and wait and say, man, I hope Andy figures this out.
1: Uh, yeah, and be- before we get to Mahomes, I do, I, I wanna agree with you, um, compelling radio stuff here. Um, but I do think it's important to be able to differentiate between Andy is having a bad season. So far, Andy is having a bad year. And Andy is too old. Andy has to retire. We have to fire Andy Reid and any of those other things that people automatically jump to. It's either, it seems like you're either, you know, at your best or we don't want you sort of thing. Um, and I think that we can look at some of the track record and maybe motives. Um, can come into question given the stakes of this business. But Andy Reid has talked about many times over that he cares about people and he wants to invest in people um, and has allowed different guys to weather the storm off the field and and try to be a part of that. Um, And I think that that grace needs to be extended to Andy. Um, I think that this is the type of season that franchises like, let's say, the Pittsburgh Steelers, who I think Clark – And because of his dad, Lamar, always admired because the Steelers have had like three coaches since 1940. um, I think that these are the types of seasons that can happen. And even if the Chiefs don't make the playoffs, that does not mean that you fire everyone and clean house. Um, I don't believe that. I think that, and I don't think that Clark believes that. He's been aggressive. Um, I definitely think he hastily fired John Dorsey. So maybe it's, you know, something in the cards with Andy potentially, but I don't really see a scenario in which Andy Reed is not the coach of the Kansas city chiefs next year, unless Andy takes matters into his own hands and steps away. But, yeah,
2: and that's, that's what I, I would, I could totally see Andy Reed resigning before it got to anywhere close to, we need to fire Andy Reid. I mean, it would not shock me. It would shock you at all. If Andy Reid stepped down after the
0: season.
1: Um, No, not entirely. You know, um, we thought that maybe because he had Pat and he had had this long career of not quite being there and suddenly he has, you know, Mahomes that like he'll be here as long as Mahomes is here or something. And he can just kind of ride off into the sunset with Patrick by his side. Um, but I mean, Andy is not young. He's had a long career and maybe winning that Super Bowl and then how it's been in the you know couple of years since then and just the way that everything is changing maybe Andy's gonna want to take a step back and say like I've I've reached that mountaintop and and and, and and maybe and I can't say that this is I don't I don't know if it's what I want. I kind of think that it is. I'm not totally sure but like maybe it would be a great scenario where Andy could say, you know what, the league has been getting it wrong on Eric B enemy and like it's his time now. I'm gonna step away and give Eric the team. You know, and whatever, I, and not that it's Andy's choice to make, but um
2: ah, uh, the untouchable one, Eric Bionami. Yeah. Not not a single negative word said about one Eric Bionami, despite all this mess. I guess, I guess. I mean, I, yeah. I, I don't, I don't know what he does. He's supposed to be our motivation guy, isn't he? <laughs> supposed to be the one that gets our fired up. They don't look very fired up. I mean, Eric Bionami has kind of reached a status where you can't say anything negative about him. And I don't have much negative to say about him, but it is interesting that, you know, in the midst of this mess, everybody is getting shit on except
1: Eric Bietam. Yeah. Mike Kafka, too. That jerk. We ought to be piling on Mike Kafka every week, quarterback, coach. <clears throat> anyway. Um, good. I, All right, we'll Go ahead. I, I wanted to. It seemed like you were kind of transitioning into talking about Mahomes. I think uh, we got it.
2: To, for the best player on the planet, the consensus best player in the world to look like that.
1: Yeah. We, we got
2: to talk. I mean, what's what's your read on Patrick Mahomes right
1: now? So, um, I mean, I, I remember, so of the last two weeks, the Tennessee game seems like there's more to talk about. Most people are saying this Giants win is is like as close to a loss as you can possibly get. It's great that they're back at you know 500 and obviously i think if they would have been three and five would have been terrible but um i had so many different things that i saw during that tennessee game whether it was part of the game or part of the way it was being talked about did you see the conversation that mitch schwartz who is phenomenal both on twitter and on radio um did you see where he was talking about um It was Orlando Brown getting beat by Harold Landry. And it was like, I think they said it was 11 and a half yards deep. And he was basically saying, you literally can't blame the tackle at that point. Like they're not paid to cover that much depth. That's not the responsibility. This is on Pat, right? So I think about this and I'm like, dude, you really, you don't want to put a leash on Mahomes, but he is not helping his offensive line at all. Unfortunately, none of his weapons are doing a whole lot to help him right now either. It's like all of these efficiency stats that I think have kind of started to fall off, especially over the last few games, but they seem like an aberration to me. Like they mean so little. You talk about people using stat, stat, stat. Oh, there's no way Mahomes is having a bad year. It's like when you see how this team sabotages itself time, After time, after time, after time, after time, they lead the league in giveaways. It's absolutely absurd how consistently they're giving the ball away. It's like the only thing that you can count on them to do right now. What do you think the Chiefs are going to be able to do in this game? Turn the ball over at least two times. Feel super confident about it.
2: A a quick stat here, because it's, it's a fun one. Uh, it's it's at, well, but maybe it's not fun. It's, not, it's a fun <laughs> stat to hear, I guess. It's an appalling stat. Uh, maybe not fun for us and our listeners. But we have reached the most turnovers uh, in an Andy Reid season with the Chiefs already. 19 turnovers, the most of any season already through eight games. I kind of wanted to look back like, damn, that's, that's not very many turnovers, it seems like. So here's our ranks and giveaways under Andy Reid. You ready for this? Starting in 2013, 2nd, 4th, 2nd, 8th, 1st, 7th, 3rd, 4th, 32nd.
1: Never lower than the top eight,
2: I believe you said? Yes. 7th and 8th, and then six seasons in the top four.
1: So let me ask you this. Through eight games... Who is in who, like, what's the number that's in 10th place in 2021? Where do the Chiefs have to improve to, to land back in the top 10 by the end of the year? I would say about negative three turnovers from where they are now. (laughs) Cause like, don't, I think they have like three or four more than Jacksonville now. Um, It's they're, they're like running away with it. I think, I believe the number that they're on pace for is 40, and that's that sounds like this unbelievable number that you would hear in week 1 chris jones is on pace for 47 sacks this year uh no we're basically at the halfway point of the season and they're on pace for 40 turnovers and, and it's, it's and not it's got- because of the 17th game it's cuz they're playing that bad and and each one seemingly
2: more spectacular than the last this one just <laughs> bonking off of Jarek <laughs> McKinnon's helmet, who then throws up two hands in the air like he's praying to God for the ball to come down. And yet, obviously, it's going to finish in the hands of, of a Giants cornerback. And not only that, it's kind of spreading to the defense this week, where <laughs> Daniel Jones just throws a, a blind pass out to the flat, luxurious Sneed right there. Oh, boy, pick six city. No, nope, he just falls down, hits the turf. And it's, it's kind of, I think the ball was caught on the play. I think they got a first down on the play. And it was just like, what is going on? It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's unbelievable.
1: I'm uh, glad to that have, I can like it, then, sit here and laugh with you about it because when I watch it, oh my, god, I'm like, here we go again, sort of. But it's just, it, God, it's gotten so frustrating, and you can see it on their faces. I, I mean, I think that. Like, people might say, and I, I think they'd be right, that the Chiefs, like, the entire attitude of that team changed as soon as that first interception happened on the opening drive.
0: Every game. And, Every, I
1: mean, it's, it's so in their head. And then it went away. And even though Gaywatch ends up making a pick on the ensuing series and the Chiefs end up still scoring a touchdown, um, they still just, man, they just didn't look right. They didn't look right.
2: Yeah. And so then you, I mean, you have Travis Kelsey, who's like the one dude who hasn't really fucked up this year. And then he loses the ball. He, he like joins in the party. Like, Hey guys, I, I want to be here too. Uh, and then it almost, it almost crescendos with Mahomes fumbling um, on third. I believe it's third and goal or maybe second and goal. I, honestly, when I'm watching it, I didn't even think he was touched. I thought he just dropped the ball in the pocket. I was like, Oh my God. Oh my God, Mahomes is just dropping the ball before, you know, just trying to take a sack and and kick a field goal and and get out of dodge here. And he's just dropping the ball. At least he got his arm hit. Um, A little thing on fumbles here, another little fun stat or maybe appalling uh, or depending on your definition of fun. Mahomes, five fumbles in his last four games. Five fumbles in his previous 27 regular season games before that. So five fumbles in four games, you have to go back 27 games uh, for his last five fumbles before that. So, I mean, just there, there's another thing, just just putting the ball on the turf, just Mahomes fumbling. I mean, that, that's something that he was really good at, and now all of a sudden these last four games um, add that to the list of, of these turnovers.
1: So I want to use like a cross sport analogy for what I think might be a solution for Pat here. Um, when, when basketball players get in a slump um, or lose their confidence, they say sometimes you just need to see the ball go through the hoop. You just gotta see it go in to know that it's possible. Um, I'm starting to think that as the offense attempts to develop some sort of winning formula uh, because apparently they're befuddled by a defense that has been around for half a century. Um, I I think that what is being given to them, and I think, unfortunately, even though they weren't as successful as we would like, um, I, I do think that they played it well, game plan wise against the Giants. Um, I think that Pat, needs to use that short passing game as an extension of the running game and try at this point to just start doing like volume completions, get into a rhythm. And ultimately, if you're able to be effective on all of that short stuff, that's when you're going to get opportunities. You have to make people respect it and I mean, they, I think they said that Pat Mahomes had the most completions in a single game behind the line of scrimmage since 2016 or something in this game against the Giants. And I was essentially begging for that. And, and I, I wrote about it on Twitter saying that, you know, the argument was kind of revolving around Tyreek, where it's like, look, if the way that teams are defending him is taking away, like what Tyreek has become as a player, this dude that can just get loose, you know, think about 200 yards receiving in the first quarter or the first half or whatever against Tampa last year. Um, He's so dynamic. But when Tyreek first got in the league, we were manufacturing touches for him. Everything was within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage, sometimes maybe even five yards of the line of scrimmage. Get the ball in his hands and let him do stuff because he hadn't developed as a player. Well, his development has got to the point where teams are doing everything they can to not let him play this new way. Okay. Well then go back to the old stuff. It's fine. I would rather have Tyreek with 18 or 18 targets for only 94 yards um, and, and just get that volume and always have the opportunity to be dangerous than, well, I guess maybe he'll only get eight or nine targets and half of them are throwing deep and it's a contested ball and it's, it's not working. Like I, I don't mind trying to just give Mahomes some plays so that he feels successful and can get some rhythm? Well,
2: they did. I mean, they essentially did. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they came out, and, you know, the first couple of plays, they threw short to Tyree Kill. I mean, that was the entire first drive, really. Yeah. I mean, it was just lightning quick passes. They're taking a snap. They're throwing the ball. And it worked to the tune of getting down to the five-yard line and then, um, you know, running a cool little trick play that had no chance um, and then ultimately throwing that pick. So it, it kind of short circuited in the red zone or down in the goal to go zone. Um, but they essentially ran the Alex Smith offense for the majority of, uh, like you said, 15 completions behind the line of scrimmage. Um, so it was, it was kind of interesting to see that that was their response, you know, like, like, I think they're kind of in line with your thinking, like, let's get him going in the short game. And then hopefully that opens up the deep stuff. Unfortunately, it didn't necessarily work that way. I think Mahomes just doesn't have confidence right now. And I think the interceptions are really getting to him to the point where he's now kind of questioning every step of his process. And so nothing is natural. No, nothing is his instincts anymore. He's not trusting his instincts. He's kind of overthinking about it. He's probably got coaches in his ears like, hey, you got to be doing this. Now you got to be worried about staying in the pocket. Now you got to be worried about your depth of, of you know, how far you're dropping back. And it's just like all of this stuff floating around in his head where it's just like now he's thinking he's got the ball. He's open. Yeah, but is he open? That safety's kind of there now. I probably shouldn't. And to the point where I didn't even recognize him in that game. It was it it looked like Alex Smith, which was which was really, really weird to see because we've never seen it out of him. But it's I think it's pretty clear that he was rattled in that game and he's definitely having confidence issues. And I think it just stems from all these interceptions just because it's happening time and time and time again he's just like enough like okay how can I fix this so he's kind of asking himself he's asking his coaches he's he's taking all of this in and it's just leading to a cluttered mind is what I see
0: out of him
1: I I wonder if I wonder if he's even in the wrong for maybe having all of those thoughts um it sucks that it's happening in season but maybe he's asking himself the right questions. Um, you know, like, are there, what can I do? All those questions that you were asking is like, you know, am I going too deep in the pocket? Do I need to, you know, stay in this spot? Do I need to not scramble as much as, you know, and, and then maybe second guessing some of his throws and stuff like that. Um, I think that that is certainly indicative of his play. Of course, he's going to be asking questions, but I think it speaks to the fact that he's taking accountability and saying, what can I do? How can I get better? How can I fix this? Um, and, and that's a good thing. you know. It sounds like the way that it's put, you said cluttered, right? There's a little bit too much that he's having to think about. And you know, just as in that conversation about Andy Reid, where it's like these margins are so thin that if Andy can't do the 18 hours a day, 365 days a year, that suddenly we lose an edge and we've had a coaching edge over everybody really since Andy's been here, it's felt like, you know, if Pat suddenly isn't processing things as quickly and isn't able to be as sharp and as dynamic and all those things, if he's 10% worse, well, I mean, maybe the margin between Pat and the rest of the league isn't as big as we all thought that it was or whatever. Um, And he has been in some ways marginalized this year. He doesn't look like the Pat Mahomes that we are used to. And I would say a point that I have heard specifically from Eric Eager multiple times this year is the reason I'm not concerned about the Chiefs is because the person that's playing poorly is like the Hall of Famer, the unbelievable talent on the team. And if he's playing good, then the team is good. And right now he's not playing that way. But if he does, they're going to be fine. Mahomes is the edge. Um, And and so I do think when we talked about all the different, like the weight on his shoulders, Pat is capable, but maybe this won't be his year. I don't think anyone is super enthusiastic about that. And ultimately it's going to be forgivable in the arc of his career, but it's so weird. I think that like, I find myself in this position both related to Pat Mahomes and Andy Reid, that they've just been, God, so good. And I've had so few questions to where it's like, who am I to ask anything about what Patrick Mahomes is doing or what Andy Reid is doing? And this year, God, I feel like I have nothing but questions well, why aren't we using the running backs this way? And suddenly, Pat starts throwing to running backs, and the running backs looked great against the Giants. Um, and hey, maybe I should just check down to the running backs more. Um, and some of these things, we're we're watching it and we're thinking, like, man, are are these problems with Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes? Like, is this the this is the first time that they've had problems? So yeah, we're new here it's weird. It's unnerving to feel like I should be asking questions of the two guys that you just never ask questions of over the last few years.
2: Yeah. And, and kind of throw Tyreek Hill in there too. I mean, two, two of the interceptions are completely on him and then he also lost the fumble. So it's, and numerous drop passes too. It's just, I mean, that's, that's your guy. I mean, that's who you ride with. Now Travis Kelsey fumbles. I mean, these you, are guys, you can't, you don't really replace them. So what do you do? You just hope they figure out, but it's a real fine line with Mahomes because, you know, you want him to clean stuff up, but you don't – my biggest fear is that, you know, you neuter him. You don't, you don't want to neuter Mahomes. You don't want to take away what makes him great. Yeah. Um, and one thing that I got here in my notes, this is from last week, when Mahomes would, would scramble, you know, that used to be like the most dangerous weapon in the NFL. When Mahomes breaks the pocket, he's rolling out like, oh, shit. Here comes a 60-yard bomb, baby. Here it comes. And this year, all of a sudden, I don't know where. Same plays. He breaks the pocket. He's on the loose. Scramble drill. Now I'm terrified he's going to throw a pick. And it's just like I can't, I can't figure out why that specific aspect has changed. Uh, I even got some stats here to back it up. So these are plays where he takes over five seconds to throw the ball. The last three years, eight yards per attempt, eighty-seven QBR. This year, he was five of sixteen for only 83 yards, two interceptions, 5.2 yards per attempt, and a 2.4 QBR. So it's like those specific plays that turned into like, you know, these out of structure plays. So, you know, they're running the offense and this is going good. And maybe that's going the same as it was before, you know? and maybe that's where the efficiency stats are coming from. And then all of a sudden, we used to be able to throw these huge plays on top of it. You know, Mahomes is breaking the pocket, Demarcus Robinson breaks free downfield and he finds them somehow. He's throwing some weird, crazy angle. He's throwing back across the middle of the field when he shouldn't. And it always seemed to work out for three straight years. And now all of a sudden this year, none of them are working out. Like it's just a disaster kind of every time. So it's kind of, and I I don't even know why. I don't, do defenses, can they adjust to that? Because I mean, it's hard to plan for that other than like, hey, be aware when he breaks the pocket, this is what he's trying to do. So maybe they're keying on that. Uh, is, are the receivers getting lazy, like they're not getting open in the same way that they used to? Is it just pure luck? Like, I don't know why this specific aspect has changed so much this year.
1: So um, there's, a, there's a couple things in there that might m- maybe possibly help explain those numbers. Um, the first that I've heard is that the way that teams have been defending him is that as soon as he breaks the pocket, you know, they largely have like a spy devoted to Mahomes. And when he breaks the pocket, that person breaks toward him to rush the throw. Um, to also obviously try to prevent him from picking up third down after third down after third down with his legs. He's been such a weapon with that over the well, years now. That
2: still is. Though, but that's still there this year. His running numbers are, are really good this year. But I agree with the spy thing. I think you are seeing more spy and it kind of takes away like that second level play.
1: And I think that the first team that was talked about doing it was the Ravens, but then like really saw it against the Chargers and people were calling it like a layered blitz. Like we are going to send someone at Pat as soon as he chooses which way he's going to escape from the pocket. If he starts, you know, escaping from the pocket out to the right, then someone is coming right at him and they're going to try to rush that throw and cut off you know, him being able to extend the play. Um, and I mean, it seems smart. It seems like the type of thing that after three years of tape on Patrick Mahomes and, you know, you you see we have to get past this team if we want to go to the Super Bowl, all of those AFC opponents, that that's the sort of thing that you might be able to, to you know, devise over an offseason and, and having all that, that tape to look at and that time to look at it. Um I, I do Two key th- words in there, you know,
2: getting some tape on Mahomes and figuring out Mahomes. So a couple a couple phrases that Chiefs fans, you know, think of as the devil might actually be coming to fruition.
1: Well, and it's not necessarily figuring him out because like it's always it's always cat and mouse. It's a chess game. Like we've heard the chess analogies about the NFL. You know, it's a tale as old as time. Oh, the chess match, and it's all about matchups and things like that. And and these, I again, I I hate to like beat the same drum over and over, but like the difference between winning and losing, it it's the Chiefs have played a lot of close games, a lot of close games, and I think right now the scariest part is that when the Chiefs have the ball, like late in the game, because they've been playing so poorly lately. I don't feel like I have the same Mahomes magic faith right now that I have in the past. I don't trust that when the chiefs get the ball with four minutes left against the giants, I'm like, I don't know. Are we going to do it here? I don't know. And how
2: about, weird. how about just on a third and eight that used to feel automatic. Yeah. How about a third and 14? I used to get excited when we were in third and 14, like, Oh fuck. Yeah. Watch this. Mahomes is going to make this happen. I have no idea how, but he's going to make this happen. Now, now we're throwing screens. Now we ain't even trying. We're, we're punting on third down, essentially. It's, it's wild.
1: I think so. And this is, let me ask you this. When the Chiefs went through this offseason and rebuilt the offensive line, and I would say three of the four new acquisitions were undisputably better at run blocking than pass blocking. Mm. Tooney being the exception, but Brown, a run blocking right tackle in a very specific run offense that got to play eight or 10 games at left tackle and looked pretty decent. Trey Smith and Creed Humphrey, definitely both like, these guys can pound in the run game. Look at the way that they're built. They're bigger than anybody at their position. They're nasty. They're maulers. They're grinders, right? Okay, so, like, did Andy not get the memo? Like, was this done where they said, well, yeah, let's get bigger and stronger and more physical because we want to win at the point of attack. But if we're not like allowing those guys to do their job. So something that I heard that I found was super interesting. It's nerdy, but, um, you know, through the first five or six weeks, so many of the run plays were run pass options. They weren't designed run downhill type of plays. Right. And so what that means on a run pass option, as it relates to how it gets blocked up offensive linemen are always in danger of being downfield so they basically can't like block forward like they can't run block because if pat pulls it then they're out of position and it's a flag
2: so they can't they can't get to the second level so like you can run you can get like 5 yard
1: gains but there nobody's nobody's
2: getting to the second level to so open up these huge
1: gains right and so you know people have kind of argued like dude if you want to run the ball and especially now with Clyde not even being available to you and the guys that you're handing off to seem like grinders, Daryl Williams and Derek Gore. Shout out to Derek Gore, my dad's favorite chief right now, I believe.
0: Fuck yeah. um,
1: but, I mean, if you have these guys that aren't lightning quick, super electric, I mean, both Daryl and Derek right now, I would say... <sighs> their running style is pretty much like one cut and go Gore seems to have a little bit more patience than Daryl. Daryl's more like, I'm just gonna, I'm going to get downhill, you know, get upfield and make guy like punish people. I, was it you that asked the question? Like if a running back puts his head down and kind of uses it like as a battering ram, what can a defender even do? I thought they were (laughs) supposed to penalize guys doing that. And that's like Daryl Williams's running style.
2: I, I kind of pose Battering that question. Ram. Kyler Murray did it. So he's like five three, maybe. <laughs> and so when he drops his head and puts it down, it's kind of like the old strike zone argument. Like, you know, like in baseball, the strike zone is supposed to go from like your chest to your knees. Like, okay, well, I'll just bend all the way over. So my chest is at my knees. Kevin and used. now there's no strike zone. That's basically what Kyler Murray did on a play where he just ducks his head so you can't hit him below the knees and you can't hit him in his helmet which is now in his midsection so you're coming straight on you basically can't tackle you have to just run up to him and kind of like push him from the side kind of tickle him down maybe um but yeah that's a it's an interesting little uh side note there and god fuck the fucking bangles and jets call oh my god was that man that was well, horrible well, I mean, it to my survivor pool that's obviously why i'm mad about it um but no, I think you're getting onto something um, about running the ball. There's, there's a way to beat the two high safeties. And it's almost like that she's prepared for this in the offseason by building the offensive line that you were talking about. They built a power running offensive line. I smell a bit of a deep dive, baby. Let's go deep. Mm. <laughs> It's was better, wasn't it? It was better. I don't think was, so. No, it was better. No, that sound was better. Compare that. and you know, we had a poll, but each the sound for
1: each week. I think I'm improving. Which deep dive sounded the most realistic? <laughs> that one is people are gonna be like week seven. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Team week seven over here. Team week seven. <laughs> Did you know that the Chiefs are actually sixth in yards per attempt in running the ball? Hmm. That kind of shocked me. How about power success? So I dove into some DVOA numbers. Power success. This is percentage of runs on third, fourth down, two yards or less to go that achieved a first down or touchdown. Also includes first and goal or second and goal runs from the two yard line or closer. The Chiefs are first. We're first in power running. We pick up third and one and two on 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 the ground because we have a power offensive line about adjusted line yards? There's, so they have like a, some weird stats here. Adjusted line yards and open field yards. And they have a little statement here. A team with a high-ranking adjusted line yards but a low-ranking and open field yards is heavily dependent on its offensive line to make the running game work. Adjusted line yards eighth, open field yards 31st. This basically means that our run blocking is good, but we're not really breaking any long runs. Now, this just speaks to the offensive line being good, again, And maybe the running backs being kind of so-so. I would like to see more. What's his name? Frank Gore, Derek Gore.
1: Derek Gore. Derek Gore.
2: I called him Frank Gore a hundred times. I didn't even try to fix it during the game. Um, the the drive where we gave Gore five carries for 33 yards and touchdown, it was beautiful. And it was and it wasn't these fancy runs. It wasn't RPOs. It wasn't a shotgun draw. It wasn't a slow developing outside zone. You line up and you run it right up their ass. And we did it for five straight plays and we scored a touchdown. And then we didn't get, he had one carry the rest of the game. One carry the rest of the game. I didn't understand it. It was so beautiful to watch. Ryan, what do you got? You're holding your hand up.
1: So um, I think I think I have the solution. I think I have it. Can you imagine, just imagine if you will, Inside of Andy's first 15, like 10 designed, called handoffs. Because, you know, something that you hear about these run-blocking offensive linemen, um, and, and linemen will tell you that much like I was talking about trying to get Patrick Mahomes into a rhythm, running forward, out physicaling, dominating your opponent – it's that's when you start to feel good. You start to feel confident, right? Okay. Well, I think that there are a lot of teams and I would say um, probably a lot of Patriots teams over the years that like, that's what they do. All right, we won the toss. We'll take the ball. We're going to go down the field, 15 plays, 75 yards. And it's going to be a lot of five and six yard runs. We're just going to frustrate you. We're going to open the game and show you like, we're gonna push you around today.
2: That's, I mean, that's how they beat us. That's essentially how they beat us in the twenty eighteen AFC Championship. I mean, yeah. it's not they won a Super Bowl. It wasn't a dynamic offense at that at time whatsoever. Right, they ran the ball four yards in a cloud of dust, and then Brady got the job done on third and four to third and six. That that was their team.
1: And this is the first time now, and it's a young group. This is the first time the Chiefs have had. The people on the offensive line to even be able to entertain something like that and the argument against like designed runs I mean like did you did you play like high school football I know that you played a lot of flag um so like organized tackle football I was not good um but I played for a few years what position you left guard I I bounced around a little bit. I felt most comfortable on offense and they always wanted to make me play linebacker Um, on offense. Yeah. Right. Um, (laughs) No, no wonder you didn't feel comfortable, (laughs) but the, the running plays that I am thinking about, if you want to like, just go to Madden, I guess I could have used Madden as a more, more acceptable way to think about it. Um, I'm talking about belly. I'm talking about like dives Dives and lead counters lead, right? A lead, a lead, a belly. belly um, I like counter was always my favorite, both to call in Madden and run in real life. You running back basically takes a jab step and then gets a lead blocker pulling guard, which is probably Trey Smith on this team. Can't wait to Woo! watch it. Um, Woo! so I mean, I'm sitting here thinking about like, let's. Run the ball. Mahomes comes up under center and turns around and hands the ball off. You want to know what I think teams are going to do if the Chiefs actually lined up and did that and like committed to doing that, even just over the course of a drive, teams are going to be like, wow. They didn't even like try to confuse us with the back and forth pre-snap motion. They didn't try to do all this. Is Mahomes going to throw it? Mahomes is the biggest weapon, the scariest thing that any team could have in the league. And he just walked up, put his hands on Creed Humphrey's nuts under center, turned around and handed the ball off. People will be shocked. There are people that cover this team that will probably be pissed because they think it's bad. You're talking about this like it's a hypothetical. We
2: fucking did it. We watched it happen. <laughs> and the maddening part is that we didn't go back to it. We just did it. Marched down, scored an easy touchdown. Hey, that was fun. That was easy. And then never went back to it. I, I was. I was kind of. It boggled my mind. Like, how about we get back to what just easily worked for a touchdown? So people didn't want to run the ball because we Patrick Mahomes. We have all these weapons, and everything was just working beautifully. There wasn't much reason to other than, like, keeping defenses honest. Well, that's not really the case now. Mahomes is having confidence problems. The passing game is facing this too high shell, so they can't get any uh, big plays. So the solution is to line up and run the ball. and Like, we plan for this. We have the offensive line to do it. We've actually had success doing it this season. All we got to do now is just do it. And I would even, I mean, I'd go as far as, so I was looking at snap counts, DeMarcus Robinson's snap counts. He's been above 70% most of these games. He was down to 41% in this game. And it kind of got me thinking, I'm I'm putting two tight ends in this, in the offense way more because we're not even getting anything out of DeMarcus Robinson, out, out of our wide receiver two and three. Like why do we have to have three receivers on the field all the time if they're not producing? Marcus Robinson hasn't done shit this year other than catch one post route. Uh, So, I mean, to throw him out there for 70% of snaps, he's not getting open. We're not hitting these intermediate passes, which is what everybody keeps complaining about. Why does he play every snap? Get in two tight ends and run the ball. It takes pressure off Mahomes. It can lessen the load on him. Like, this is what I would like to see. It seems like the easy way to beat this. I'm not sure why we're not doing this other than we have 20 years of history Andy Reid doesn't want to run the ball.
1: Well, I think that with the acquisition of Dan Da Vinci Code Brown, it's signaling a change of emphasis and philosophy here with your Kansas City Chiefs offense. I was thinking that maybe the nickname for Dan Brown should be Da Vinci Code. Um, shout out Brett Veach, big time acquisition. Dan Brown. Um, listen, I let's, let's try to wrap it up here. I do think there's a couple things that uh, with
2: that, man, I'm enjoying this. I'm enjoying this.
1: What are we at an hour? Uh, around. Yeah. Maybe a little, little longer than that. Okay. Um, so I, I think it's important before we go to acknowledge that, um, when we talk about the defense, um, I think that it's pretty easy to see, uh, swapping out Daniel Sorensen in favor of Juan Thornhill. Um, the fans were right. We were right. Um, the defense looks a lot better. They're also getting healthier. Um, but I think that maybe the biggest surprise, and I hope that it's something that Chiefs fans are excited about and not just frustrated because he only does this one thing good and maybe he's not so great at this other thing, but dude, Nick Bolton, has absolutely, positively, unequivocally arrived as an NFL caliber starting middle linebacker that went toe-to-toe, face mask-to-face mask with what Patrick Mahomes called the best running back of our generation. And Nick Bolton had Derrick Henry throwing fits, temper tantrums in the backfield when Nick Bolton was tackling him behind the line of scrimmage. And you, you get to see him continue to play well. And yeah, look, it's, maybe it's all run blitzes and he's going exactly where the play is designed and he's getting lucky all these times. Nick Bolton leads the league in tackles for loss. This dude looks so clued in against the run that I don't care if he ever properly defends a pass in his NFL career, what he does well, he does it better than maybe anybody. And he's a rookie. He's so decisive I mean he's he is doing the DJ special and he's hey. a like it's it that's what's happening he's knifing through and making plays in the backfield just as efficiently and impressively as Derek Johnson was at his peak and this is Nick Bolton doing it as a rookie he can round out the rest of his game and try to become a better pass defender if it if it becomes that important. And you can argue if you want, waste your breath about where they took him. Nick Bolton is a good football player and it's exciting. Watching him and Willie Gay together is a thrill. I love it. I absolutely love it.
2: Yeah, and well, and the and the biggest the best thing to happen to Nick Bolton was getting Anthony Hitchens off the field. Oh yeah, because they're just two similar linebackers. They're both they're two mics. We got Mike Hitchens out there and Mike Bolton, uh, and and there's just I don't know there's too much field too much field for them. So once he went out and he was just able to slide into that Mike role, that's when he started flourishing. So you got to keep him there. You got to play a lot more Willie Gay. I would love to get Neiman off the field somehow. I don't know if it's possible. I don't, I don't know if they'll just play Bolton and Gay in the nickel, even though I'd kind of like to see it. Maybe throw in Dodd if you're going to the nickel or dime, if it's an obvious passing situation. But, you know, it, there's signs of the linebackers figuring it out. And then, as we talked about, as we let off the show with Frank Clark and Chris Jones showing life. Hey, we traded for Melvin Ingram. He's showing, he, he could provide some umf here. Uh, we figured out our cornerback rotation. We got Mike Hughes off the field, and we got our three best corners. We got Charverius, we got Fenton, we got Snead out there. Those are our top three corners. They should be the ones playing. Like, we've we kind of made some progress here in the defense. I think we're, it's a lot of moves um, that we want to see. Unfortunately, we, our coaching staff kind of made all the wrong moves to start with, starting Sorensen over Thornhill, playing Hughes at corner, Uh, doing this Chris Jones thing. So that kind of makes me question their decision-making. But at least I'm glad they're making changes and figuring it out. But it's it's good to see over – oh, and I got one last stat here. Run defense over the last six weeks allowing 83 yards per game. This includes the Tennessee Titans, folks. 83 yards per game. That would be third in the NFL right now. That would be third. I actually, and I think we're sitting at 22nd only because we have allowed so much to the Browns and Ravens to start out the year. So it's hard to find that stat. But over the last six weeks, this run defense has been stout, and that all I mean lines up with Bolton coming in and playing more. Like, like there's there's hope for the defense here. Like, and you know that's the run defense, and then the pass evens can figure it out because we have a pass rush. I think we should talk a little bit about Melvin Ingram. Um, what are your thoughts on on Melvin Ingram
1: coming in here? You think he's he's going to provide some juice? Um, so. I do, in some way, shape, or form. I mean, he's going to make an impact, right? Um, I I think that where I'm at right now, um, man, I, I think I would have rather had another aging pass rusher and, and had it be Whitney Merciless than Melvin Ingram for some reason. I don't know why I feel that way. Um, maybe I just don't like the look of not signing him and then having to give up a draft pick to get him.
2: Um, yeah, and, and people are harping on that a lot. Just get over it. It's a sixth round pick. I know that's, that's Brett Veach's uh, best round for drafting actual good football players. I understand that, but don't worry. We can trade our second-round pick for more sixth-round picks. We can get back into his comfort zone. Don't
1: worry. Um, that, that's fair. Uh, I, I guess when I think about what my expectations are, for adding melvin ingram um i i would have to go back and look to see like the snap percentages that we were getting out of somebody like terrell suggs but i liken it to that even though ingram is a lot of years younger than suggs was last season um i think that just having a guy that has started for a really long time um, and that spagnolo likes a rotation He likes to keep guys fresh. You know, he very rarely is taking a player on that defensive line and saying, you're going to play 90% of the snaps. He wants to keep the bodies fresh and moving in and out. And I think that now, with Frank hopefully, fingers crossed, knock on wood, Frank finally being healthy and really looking confident.
2: and His his best game since the 2019 playoffs, maybe? like yeah. he looked juiced out there it was it was amazing to see
1: where's frank clark do 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 um he looks he looks like the shark again a little bit out there and i i think that by having frank by having mike Dana, and then having okafor who looks like he's probably kind of rounding into i'm healthy now which you know who knows but adding melvin ingram to that mix and we have to keep in mind that i think kendo is is reasonably uh in the next few weeks probably gonna be in that place where do we want to bring him back and suddenly they've got a a you know strong and healthy rotation again um and so i think that with ingram like i don't care about how many sacks he gets um if if he can help to keep chris jones largely playing defensive tackle um, almost exclusively playing defensive tackle, I think we're both kind of rooting for um, and can help try to keep the other guys healthy and effective. Um, that's really all we need from him. Uh, I, I, I don't need Melvin Ingram to go out and get us, you know, eight sacks in the final nine games and go on some crazy tear. Um, that's not what we need him to be. We need him to just be healthy.
2: Yeah, man, I love Melvin Ingram. Um, he kind of gives me like some Tom Baha Lee vibes uh, he's just kind of relentless. You're going to get effort out of him on every play. Uh, obviously, we played him a ton with the Chargers. I can remember being more scared of him uh, than Bosa when we played the Chargers. Like, I always thought Melvin Ingram was kind of the uh, the tougher one to deal with. So um, I I love getting that type of guy in here to the pass rush because, you know, we've talked about Chris Jones before he makes those splash plays, but then he disappears a lot of the time. I think Ingram could help balance that out. Um, I was hoping he'd bring some single-digit swag to the, to the team because we don't have anybody who adopted the uh, single digit uh, jersey number. Uh, did you see what number he's wearing on the practice field today? Brandon Flowers. 24, an odd choice. Going with 24 from the pass rusher. I love that, that's going to look weird as hell. Like, what the hell is that guy doing? Um, and, you know, Peyton and Brady would hate it because they wouldn't be able to identify the mic uh, with that confusion right there. They're confused because 24 is lining up at the end.
1: You can't teach an old dog new tricks, huh? <laughs> He's out there, you damn millennials, Your are weird numbers.
2: But, I, I mean, I love that. I mean, so so the run defense has established itself. If you start to get a pass rush now, if you start to get the best corners out on the field, like I see the, um, you know, the path for this defense to get to league average. So now it's got to, you know, you got to get that offense back to top five, top three level. Um, and, and then I think that's, that's the, um, um, the path to victory, ultimately, for this Chiefs. So um, we still got Sorensen getting dotted everywhere out there on the field. They're just getting identified and attacking him. Um, but just to stress again, I know the Giants game wasn't any fun. I know it just felt like, oh, God, why am I watching this? But, man, ugly wins happen, okay? Ugly wins happen. The Chiefs in 2020, we beat the 511 Panthers by two points. We beat the 5-11 Broncos at home by six points. We beat the Falcons 17-14. They were a 4-12 team. In 2019, we beat the 3-12-1 Lions by four points. We beat the Chargers by seven, 5-11 Chargers team down in Mexico City. These are ugly, ugly wins. And I know right now it's just like, man, they're continuing to play bad. But these wins do happen over the long term. You have a season. uh, If you have a full season of wins, some of them are going to be ugly like that. So it was important that we got the win, and we just treading water at this point. Chiefs are just treading water, hoping that the you know they pick it up, hoping that lifeboat comes, hoping to regain their composure so they can start swimming. Right now they're treading water. Nobody looks good when they're treading water. It looks ugly. It looks ugly from all sides. But just stay alive, and that's what they've done at least this week.
1: And I I think I it would have been. Um... I think more, more poignant to make this argument prior to the Rogers news, but I was really feeling like there was just this awesome and almost uncanny sense of understanding the moment and the need for that from the defense with guys like Aaron Rodgers and, and Dak Prescott and those offenses looming on the horizon in this really pivotal part of the season that it's like, man, the defense is starting to kick it into the gear exactly when we need it. And, and also because frankly, the offense hasn't been clicking. Um, and if it weren't for the defense, you know, keeping us in that game against the giants, um, you know, who knows where we'd be today. Um, Chiefs and Packers 325 PM Arrowhead time on Sunday. Um, the, the Jordan love experience. I can't wait for it. Uh, hopefully the Chiefs, especially with the Packers still missing number one corner Jair Alexander, the Chiefs will hopefully be able to attack them through the air a little bit. We'll see. Um, also, is Devontae Adams out. He, he missed the game for COVID, right? I think he had COVID last week. Yes. But
2: he'll, he'll probably, I saw like he wasn't practicing today. I'm, I'm guessing he will be back
1: uh that w- that would be my guess um but man they were, yeah they were really uh beat up in the receiving core last week randall cobb with two touchdowns on like three catches for 25 yards um and i think that like they were without lazard they were without mvs um they were they were down to bare bones antonian lost for the season so um the Mercedes Packers...
2: marcedes lewis
1: yeah, Mercedes well, lewis um I, I hope that this game is uh, a win. I don't really care how it looks. Let's go get a win on Sunday, Kansas City. Stay
2: alive. Stay alive. I need I need two or three more months of football. Uh, two months of football ain't enough. I can't believe we're at this point that we're uh, trying to stay alive. I, I never thought this would happen. Man, remember when I was afraid this was going to be a boring season? Woo! Boy, those those concerns are out the window.
0: Anything but, right?
2: No, yeah. Um. So, yeah, let's go get it. I'm ready. Did, did, you, did you hear Aaron Jones? He was, he was like, oh, yeah, the Chiefs got a great defense, and then dropped a uh, Dan Sorensen by name reference. They like to move him around, almost like, hey, Jones, when this guy's on you, run fast. Just run right by.
1: Run fast. Oh, <laughs> man. All right, folks, this has been Amateur Hour. I'm Ryan Scott Hall. He is his darkness. Go, Chiefs. We will see you next week.
0: We're best Go, join.